Hey, we've never really, uh, really talked about this in the course of the series, but this image, um, you can guess what it is, probably it looks like an eye chart, right? Uh, and there's a reason behind that, of course, uh, in that, you know, when we go to the eye doctor and they ask us, at what point can you no longer read it? I was at the eye doctor this past week, actually, and, you know, I I'm, I'm have this eye chart like this, and she's like, what, at what level can you no longer read the letters? And she asked, so how, how good is your vision, she asked me. I said, well, my eyesight is really bad, actually. Uh, my eyesight is not phenomenal. But I think my vision is pretty clear, right? Uh, <clears throat> and, of course, there's two different things, right? The, 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 vision, the vision is clear, but the eyesight isn't phenomenal. And, and my, my really hope at, by, the, by the end of this um, is that you will, you will have a vision as well uh, that we can all rally behind. We're going to talk about the next three to five years uh, here at Restoration Church. Um, I read the story this past week about how JFK, uh, John F. Kennedy, back in 1961, he had, he had told the nation in this historic speech, by the end of this decade, we are going to get to the moon and back safely. And of course, all of the naysayers began to join in. They said, how can you imagine? There's no way we could ever do this. Can you imagine the price tag that is going to come along with sending a rocket ship to the moon? Nothing, nothing like this had ever been done before. Uh, you, just three years prior to this, the U.S. had launched its first satellite that actually orbited the Earth. And so like, they had to go an additional 289,000 miles and back again. There's no science for this. The amount of money it was going to cost, ridiculous, people kept saying. NASA said originally that uh, it was going to cost $7 billion to be able to get to the moon. A week after they said this, they upped that to $20 billion. By the time it was all said and done, $125 billion had been spent to get that rocket ship to the moon. There's no science to this. It can't be done. The moon is too far away. What's the point anyway? What are we going to learn? What's the point of putting somebody on the moon? It cannot be done. The goal is just too big, they all said. You guys ever had a dream like that before? You had this really big, lofty idea, this really big dream. Maybe sounded a little bit crazy in your head. Certainly it sounded crazy to everybody else who, who heard you talk about it. And you kept sharing this vision with your friends, and they said, that's never going to work. Now, you might as well just put that to rest. It's never going to work. It can never be done. It's never going to happen. You might as well just lay it to rest. It's not going to happen. It's too risky. It's going to cost too much money. It's going to be too hard. And so what do you do when you hear the naysayers? Well, what, do you, what do you do when people say, no, 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 you, the dreams that God has put within you, they cannot be accomplished. What do you do? Do you just say, okay, you're, pro- you're probably right. Uh, you know what? Uh, yeah, I know. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go get a j- day job. And you're going to get in the habit of going to work every day, and you're going you're you're to forget about your aspirations to do this, this thing that sounded just maybe a little bit crazy, that to a lot of people they thought could ever be done. And you're going to settle into life, and you're going to do life like everybody else does life. You're going to wake up, and you're going to go to work, and you're going to come home, put your kids to bed, wake up again, do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And then at the one end of your life, you're going to wonder, what was the point of it all? Why did I just do that? Why did I let those dreams die? Why did I listen to those voices? I think to some extent, we've all done this. Individually, yes, I think we've all done this to some extent, and I think corporately, we've done this as well. It's true of churches as well. Too many churches have settled. Too many have thought that if we just produce enough programs, then we're going to be okay. That if we just do enough stuff and put enough events on, that we'll just keep doing what we're supposed to be doing and all those events and all those programs, what do they become? They become these sacred idols. 
And we just do them year after year after year because that's what we're supposed to be doing. And they become these sacred idols. And then when you come and say, you know, I can do that anymore, what, what happens? People get upset. People leave the church. The church divides over things like that because we've settled in to the history rather than looking forward to the future. And I think that one of the first things we need to do as individuals and as communities is confess that God's intentions, God's intentions for us are bigger than the dreams that we have for ourselves. I really think that's true. I really think God wants to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And I hate that this may have been true of us at some times, you know, uh, that we haven't looked at the greatness of God and trusted that he wants to do something significant in us and through us, and he wants to shake the earth with his love and shake the earth with his glory and shake the earth with his kingdom. And he has entrusted then to us this privilege and the responsibility to be his agents, to take his love and his kingdom, his grace, his mercy, his attributes, everything that the world is desperately longing for, to take this and to run into the darkness bearing his light and to run into the brokenness bearing his healing and to run into the death bearing his life. God is doing a really good work in us. Like, I really believe that. God is doing such a cool thing here at Restoration Church. God is doing such a good work in us and through us, but we cannot stop until every single person within our reach has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we have given them an opportunity to respond to it. We cannot stop. And so before I get into a little bit of vision casting, I'm going to invite Brian uh, Hughes forward. He's the chairman of our elder board. And I am going to ask that he share in some specs a, a, a retrospect of where the year has come um, regarding our finances. It's going to function essentially as a business meeting in that regard as well. We're going to talk about where we are, and then we're going to cast a vision for where we are going. So please welcome Brian. So we tricked you to come to a business meeting. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> So you can go to the next slide. There's nothing to say about that. <laughs> that was it. I mean, the business meeting, that was it. Okay, so February, I stood up here and I presented where we were financially, the State of the Church Address, I called it. Um, and the two numbers up there that I would point out are the ones that I made in blue, which I'm so grateful that you can read. I believe you can read it. Can you read that? Ralph, can you read that way back? Awesome. Because after I made it blue, I looked at my little slide that I printed out and I was like, nobody's going to be able to read that. That's terrible. But... So this is where we were. At the end of February, we were projecting uh, net loss. There was a pretty significant budget shortfall, and we were talking about projecting the end of the year being short by $5,500, which means that for those of you that are numbers people, that's exactly what you need to see. For those of you that are not numbers people, you need to see like a big frowny face. Okay, that's where we were. Okay, so if you go to the next slide, we'll see where we're at. Um, this is where we project. It's still projected because technically we have another week and we have this Sunday's offering and next Sunday's offering. And so my brain cannot just put the numbers up there without saying projected. So I apologize because there's only one week left in the, finance, or the fiscal year. But <clears throat> what you need to see is that income is now over budget by $3,500. <laughs> so that's pretty significant. That's a swing of, of $19,000. Right from where we were, where we were, 
Okay, expenses are coming in right where they should be, um, right about where budget is. And so overall, we look at $4,000 income over expense. That's where we look to be at the end of the year. So we will have a surplus that is almost equal to what I was projecting as the um, shortfall back in February, which perhaps indicates that I shouldn't be doing these numbers. I don't know. <laughs> but I think what it means is that God deserves a lot of credit, and he's the one that provided all these things. And we want to continue that as we go through this. So if you go to the next slide, <clears throat> this is our income by month. The green line that goes up, over, and down is what we need month to month. It goes up, over, and down because we have tuition during those months of the year while the preschool's running. And so, therefore, those are the, the high or sector, the green line. If you could read what's up there, and you can't, um, you would see that March begins a trend where the line is above, or the graph goes above the green line month after month after month after month. And that's awesome. That's awesome. So go to the next slide. And this is my EKG, as I said back in February. And depending on the month, that might be my EKG. <clears throat> Those two lines, the red and the blue, that's all you really need to look at, the straight ones. In February, those two lines ran parallel, and the blue line, which was this year, was below the entire time, right? Straight across. It was like almost perfect match. Right in the middle of the year, it crosses over, and since then, we've been above. So you hear the trend, right? Like you get the message. God is good. You have been generous. This is a tremendous year. This is an amazing story. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So here are our other funds. The church um, has a general fund. General fund covers all the expenses, salaries and buildings and paying the lights and the heat and all that fun stuff. But the church also has other funds. So we have surplus from previous years, and you can see that it's up there. That surplus number, if you could remember the last time, nobody here probably can, but I know it because it was $44,900. And now it's $37,000, so it went down. down. That should be, you know, red flag, like what happened to the surplus? Shouldn't go down. We purchased this new sound system. The new sound system, the elders approved out of the surplus that we had um, because it wasn't something that we budgeted for, and so that's why that number went down. Uh, the other numbers that are up there, little blessing surplus is uh, money that they have accumulated over the course of years as they've been in business, so that would help them out if they had a down year. Um, which we haven't experienced of recent, so that's great. Um, the capital fund is there. That's for building and maintenance. We'll talk a little bit about that in another slide later on. The fellowship fund is an um, opportunity to give to um, community, give to people in our congregation, people that are in need, and so there's $1,700 there. The missions trip fund um, is what we use to um, send the mission team when they go um, in this coming year on a missions trip again. We haven't talked too much about that yet, but that's coming up in next year, like next summer. And the last one there, the health insurance fund is relatively new. Um, we have switched our health insurance and we now essentially have our own health insurance, which is an amazing savings. Um, it's a savings of almost 50% over what we were spending when we purchased health insurance from Aetna and Blue Cross and Blue Shield and all those guys. Um, but we are then liable for any kind of major expense. So if there was something that was major that wasn't covered by the CHM partner that we use, um, which is a Christian um, health finance sharing opportunity, but if there was something there that wasn't covered, then the church would be liable to cover that. 
And so that health insurance fund is something that we want to grow. We want to grow it to probably 50 or $60,000 so that we have a safety net for some kind of a major expense. But we had the opportunity to put $20 into it this year um, to get it going and get it started, which means that the surplus that you saw way back when that was $4,000, really, this is $20,000 worth of expenses that we put in our own bank account for some future event. Doesn't mean that it won't be used. Maybe it'll never be used. But that also means that that surplus, you could call it $24,000 if you wanted to. Depends on how you look at it. So if you go on to the next slide, we want to talk about those blue cards. Remember, Ross said you'd never have to see the blue cards again. Last week was last week. Well, this is, I didn't make the slide blue. I probably should have. Um, this is the result of those blue cards. So what we found was that 14 new givers committed to giving to the ministry here at Restoration Church on a regular basis. And 37 of you committed to raising your giving. So that totaled $43,000 over the course of next year worth of additional giving, which is phenomenal. I mean, absolutely amazing. We set a goal of $72,000. We reached 60% of it. That is not, please don't misunderstand that number. <clears throat> as like, oh, what a downer, we didn't meet the goal. Um, the goal was intentional. The goal was set high on purpose. Um, we didn't necessarily expect that we would necessarily meet that goal. So, um, but we were encouraged and, and really amazed at how all of, of you, all of us, uh, were inspired by God to, to commit to Restoration Church. So, what did that mean? That meant that when we met as elders this past week, we had some decisions to make. We had to decide, since we set a goal of $72,000, and we didn't just pick that number, we picked it because we had some priorities set. Um, what did we want to do, and where did we want to go with that? So if you go to the next slide. Um, so these were our priorities, and the top priority was to find relief for the staff, find relief for Ross. And we looked at that as a part-time pastor. So the elders, as we prayed about it, as we discussed it um, at some length, really felt like God is just not leading us to hire a part-time pastor at this point. So that, again, should you know, bring a question in your mind, what are we going to do? Uh, we are working, as has been mentioned numerous times during this series, uh, at bringing along a volunteer staff that would help to support our whole staff, and Ross in particular, especially during the busiest times of the year. So we're really working toward developing that, developing that volunteer model, um, and trying to provide for some of the spaces, especially, again, during really busy times when the staff is going crazy trying to get everything done. We've also budgeted money so that Ross can have a regular Sunday off, and he's not up here preaching on every Sunday. Um, probably Emily's biggest thing right there in the budget, as was just made very vocally known. Um, so we are doing some things to try to give Ross a break and try to give the staff a break and try to relieve some of that stress, but just don't feel that now is the time to be hiring a part-time pastor. It is something that is still uh, in our discussions. It's something that we'll still work toward. It's still a goal. Um, it's just not a right-now goal. But with that said, there were some other priorities that we wanted to see. And so you can see treehouse support. Uh, we see Treehouse as a very vital ministry, especially when you see, like, all these little kids that five years ago were this tall and now are this tall and soon will be this tall. Um, that, that ministry is vital to our church. It's vital to so many of you as families with, with young kids and kids that are just becoming teenagers and those kind of things. The picnic today is, 
is a wonderful example of that. I've heard that it's the hello goodbye picnic, but it doesn't sound like there's almost anybody goodbying. There's just a whole bunch of helloing. So that, that's that's oh, see you later. I'm sorry, it's not goodbye. It's not hasta la vista or whatever. Um, you know. So again, that supporting treehouse is vital, and treehouse has a vision for not just what they can do here at Restoration Church, but what they can do in this region. And so they are working on expanding and so on. And so we wanted to support them. So we are essentially tripling um, what we support Treehouse with and raising that. It's, it's raising at 14000 It will now support them $20,000 a year in the budget coming forward. But Treehouse is not the only ministry that our congregation represents. And in fact, lot, lots of you are ministers within. But also, um, Josh and Jen Logan are missionaries through Crew, and they have a thriving ministry as well. And so we wanted to support them as well. And so we've put $1,200 in the budget so that we can support Josh and Jen Logan going forward with their ministry as well. Um, it is somewhat ironic that this is Restoration Church. And there have been moments and times when we have thought that Restoration Church was more like we need to restore this church building. So, so we really feel like putting money into the budget on a regular basis for building maintenance, essentially moving that money into capital so that when we have things like a leak in the roof or a problem with the basement or something, that we have some money that's ready to go um, for those things. And so we're putting $10,000 into the budget for that. Uh, the elders also felt that the magazine that we put out last fall when we hit our fifth birthday was really a great opportunity to tangibly reach out to all the people that have ever given us contact information. You know, it's great that all of you got the magazine and you probably read it and were interested in it and it meant something. But, you know, there's a lot of people that have come through our doors for the last five years, given us their name or they've been involved at some point, and now they're not here. They just don't regularly come. But this magazine is an opportunity to give them an opportunity to say, hey, maybe I'll go back to that church. I liked what I heard when I was there. Or maybe I have a chance to get back. Um, and so we really felt like the magazine was something that we should continue to do, and so we've put money in the budget to move forward with that. And then outreach is, is amazing. It's what we're called to do. It's what we want to do with our community. And so we have events that are regular, like Trunk or Treat and the Quarter Carnival and things like that that take some money. But we also have new events like the July 4th parade that's coming up, and we have a new event coming for Christmas that we haven't really unveiled yet but know it's coming. And so we wanted to double our outreach budget, and so we put $5,000 additional into outreach. So if you move on to the next slide, that kind of summarizes our priorities. Our budget then overall... We go from 358000 this current year to 401000 That's basically the increase of about $43,000, which is the increase that basically we all committed to as a church. And you can see where the tuition really isn't changing. It's just the giving number that's going up. Um, if you move on to the next slide, most all of these numbers... Oh, got two instead of one. Most all of the numbers um, on that slide will indicate the priorities that we talked about. Oh, I'm sorry. That isn't the right slide. This is the right slide. Thank you. I'm ahead of myself. Um, so on this slide, talks about the salary. Uh, we are increasing the salary for the staff by 3%. Uh, and so there's an increase there you can see in salary and benefits. But that CHM health insurance has really saved us over 50%. The majority of that savings has gone into that health insurance fund that I described earlier. And so that's pretty much why we're not seeing some you know, significant decrease in terms of expenses here. But nonetheless, it's been, it's been very good, and, and the first year has gone really, really well with the health sharing. 
initiative that we've done. Now if you can go to the next slide. So each one of these categories, building, operating, missions, and ministry, you can read all those numbers. Each one of them go up. They are all going up representing the things that we just discussed on the slide about our priorities, whether it's the missions things that we're giving to, whether it's the building fund that we're giving to, uh, ministry initiatives for outreach, and so on. And if you go on to the next slide. So overall, our budget increase is 12.1%. And again, it's a giving increase of really $43,400, which is what we've committed to. It's what God's called us to do, and it's what we need now to be faithful to in the coming year. So I th think this will be the last slide. So here it is. We want to praise God, but we want to thank you because it's, it's all of our generosity together and our commitment to God and to what he's called us to do that brings us to where we are today. But I'll end with this. I've already talked to several of you that right after you committed, all kinds of things hit. You know, like the car went bad and this happened and I had this unexpected suspense and the same is true for our family as well. Next year won't be the easy year. Next year will be the tough year because we've committed to do God's work, which means that Satan's not happy about and so we need to trust God, we need to be faithful, and we need to pray. He's still the provider. He is still worthy of all the praise. And it's amazing to stand up here in front of you and, and give you a message like this, you know, show you numbers like this of what God does. But it also recognizes that it requires all of us to do that, to be faithful and to pray, whether it's the good times or the bad times. That's what we're called to do, that's what we need to do, and that's the only way we are going to do it. So let's just take a minute and pray together. God, we praise you and thank you because you are generous and you are a provider and you are faithful. And you have called us to be a people that are generous and they're faithful. And so we ask that you'd help us in this coming year to do just that, to be faithful to the commitments that you've called us to, that when it doesn't feel like the money's there, when it doesn't feel like this is the time to do this, when it's just scary, Lord, that you give us the strength, that we can support your ministry that we can do what you've asked us to do, that we can obey you and be faithful. And we praise you and thank you for the ways that you bless because we know that you will do so and we know that you will provide. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brian. <clears throat> yeah, so that's really, that's really, really good stuff. And, um, and I'm trying to figure out where I am here in my message, but... Um, so Brian, thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you, Restoration Church, um, because it's, it's a really exciting life. And I'm going to speak really, really fast here because I got a lot to say in the next 14 minutes. Um, here's, here's, what, uh, here's what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul is really discussing the work of Christ, right? And up to this point in Ephesians and what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. It's not what we have done, it's what Christ has done for us. And he enters into this prayer then for the Ephesians. And there are two pervading themes that come out of this prayer, mainly that they are love and power. The two pervading themes of his prayer are love and power. In particular, that God's love um, would dwell among the people, would dwell within the people, would dwell within the Ephesians, and that they would grasp then the power of the Spirit 
and they therefore would have the supernatural energy, energy to then go and explore God's love even further, a love that is beyond understanding, he's going to go on to say, and that this love then would compel them and propel them forward into the world. And this would be a lifelong exploration of God's infinite, never giving up, unstoppable, always and forever, no matter what, beyond imagination, beyond understanding love. That would be the life of the Ephesians and that that would compel them, propel them into their community. That as they grasp this power and they sink deeper and deeper into the love, that they may live on this earth as God lives on this earth, that God lived on this earth, that they would be like Jesus. Here's what he says. I pray that out of his glorious riches, so whatever Paul is about to pray, right, in this prayer, whatever he is about to say, he knows that God has a storeroom full of it. Whatever he's about to ask for the Ephesians, he knows that God has whatever he's about to ask in abundance. He has storerooms of us out of his glorious riches. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so God is going to empower us by his spirit, Paul says. And why why would God do this? So that Christ would take up residence within us. That we would actually live on this planet like Christ lived on this planet. That our movement and our words and our thoughts would be Jesus' same movement and same thoughts and same words. And what does that look like, you know, practically speaking, what Paul is going to say? What does it mean to have our life flow from love? Paul would tell the Ephesians that it looks like being rooted and established in love. See, Paul parallels the life flowing from Jesus with the life rooted in love. And this love compels our power. He says, may have power, that we might have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that interesting that we might actually know the love that is unknowable? We would know the love that is beyond our wildest imaginations, that we would know the love that is beyond comprehension, that we would delve into this lifelong exploration of figuring out what God's love looks like so that we might be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And so his prayer is really that the power of God would fuel our love, a love that mirrors God's love, that we would then be compelled and propelled to go into our community to express the same love to our neighbors. And it only makes sense, right? As the spirit of God indwells us and provides us our power, we become like the God who is love. And this love, I believe then, as Paul would believe, would do radical, community-changing things. See, Paul is really concerned with the type of people we become. And we're concerned with that as well. We want to become like Jesus. He's not asking us just to be people who serve as part of a program. Uh, He's not asking us just to come and serve on Sunday mornings. He is asking us to become servants. That whenever we see a need within our midst, that we would be the first to stand up and say, I'll do it. He's not asking us just to be people who pray on occasion. He is asking us to develop a life of prayer. He's not asking us that we would just be grateful in times of blessing, but that we would develop grateful hearts that are giving praise to God in all circumstances. It's not that we, we would be generous when we're in abundance, but that we would become generous people living out the generosity that God had poured on to us. So the question is, what if we became like Christ? What would happen if we became like Christ? If I lived like Christ, if, if, love, if love flowed from my being, right? If love flowed from our being, what would our households look like? What would our communities look like? If our lives were rooted and established in his beyond imagination love, beyond our understanding love, 
but that we would never give up the exploration of God's love for us. What would happen to our households? What would happen to us? What would happen to our communities? Loving and serving and offering hope and forgiving and extending kindness and living generously, these would all just be our natural movements. It's just what we would do as we interacted with one another and our neighbors who are constantly getting on our nerves and our coworkers who we want nothing to do with. Like, those would just be the natural attributes that we live out of. They would just flow from us. And so our goal is that we would look so much like Jesus that the world then would be drawn to us in the same way that the world was drawn to Jesus. And that his love would fuel our impact on the community. Now, the typical response when you say something like world change or community change, the typical response we get is, that's ridiculous. The church doesn't have that kind of influence in the world. It's kind of sad, but that's oftentimes what people say. It's ridiculous. The impact is unrealistic. It's becoming that generous isn't even wise, they would tell us. You realize that, that Jesus rose people from the dead, and he healed the sick, and he fed thousands of people, right? I mean, we can't do that, they would say. But you know what? The, the reason that Paul was able to write this and to pray this and believe this over the Ephesians is because Paul experienced it. He, too, was able to raise the dead. If you guys have ever read the book of Acts, he, too, was able to heal the sick. He, too, was able to do everything that Jesus was able to do because the power of God's Spirit was so powerfully at work in Paul. And now he wants that to be multiplied throughout the followers of Jesus. So we can either just settle and we can say, you're right, the naysayers are going to come and they're going to say, you're right. You can't change the world. Following Jesus they can just remain a personal spiritual thing. It doesn't have to change me into someone who changes my world. Or we can say, you know what, you're right. We're just going to keep doing things the way we've always been doing them. We're just going to settle for doing more programs, putting on more events. So we're just going to be okay with that. Or we can trust and pray alongside Paul. Now to him who is able. Who is able, by the way? God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. To do what? Not just to do a little bit more than we ask or imagine, to do immeasurably more, beyond our comprehension more, beyond our wildest dreams more. According to his power, his power, not ours, by the way, that is at work within us. We are vessels of the power, yes, but it is God's power working in us. And it is a privilege to wield this power as God resides within us. And to him be the glory. This is for his namesake. This is for his fame. It is not for ours individually or Restoration Church. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So are we going to settle for the mundane? Are we going to settle for the average? Are we going to just let our community be mediocre? Just settling? Or are we going to thrive recognizing our influence and are we going to breathe life and peace and hope into the greater community around us? Are we going to be that beacon of light and hope within our region? So this is both a privilege and a responsibility to be growing into the fullness of God and allowing his love to spill out onto the world around us. Do you guys know there's a legend around here? There's a story that, that the elders tell their children in this community. I don't, don't know if you guys are aware of this. Um, it's the story of the Restoration Church cherry tree. You guys ever heard this story before? So it's obviously not that famous of a legend. Okay. Um, I've heard this story from, from numerous people, though. I don't know if it's true or not. I have no idea if it's true or not. 
But the rumor is that the cherry tree that just sits right outside our door never bore fruit in its entire life until the summer of 2013 when Restoration Church arrived. Again, I don't know if that's true or not. Isn't it a great story, though? Like, come on, that's good stuff, right? I like it. <laughs> There's a reason that that tree is now bearing fruit, right? It's because we are bearing fruit as a community, and, I, and it's absolutely true. God is doing an incredible work here. Uh, but I believe that the cherry tree is kind of symbolic of something, right? From a single seed, that tree began to grow. And now it produces, every single year, tens of thousands of cherries, I'm going to be a little exact. That's pastor math for you. That's, that's a little That's uh, maybe thousands of cherries, all right? High hundreds of cherries. Dozens of cherries. Uh, you get the idea, though, right? And so I, I, just, I, I hope that we can be a church that is bearing fruit within our community, multiplying within our community. The challenge is that if we are going to reach those no one is reaching, we cannot keep doing the same old things. If we are going to reach those no one is reaching, we have to start doing things no one is doing. And it's really too small of a thing, I think, when we have this God of immeasurably more at our backs and in front of us and behind us and before us, equipping and empowering us. We cannot just settle for a church that is growing. Emily and I set out six years ago from Minnesota to change the world. Maybe she didn't know that's what she was in store for, but that was my envision from the beginning. Our vision was that a body working together could accomplish a a God-sized goal. Not just planting a church or having a growing church, but a gathering under the banner of Christ, empowered by his love and by his spirit that would make a significant culture-changing impact with where it landed. That the fabric and the culture of our community would change because we exist here in the middle of it. And so I want you to dream with me for a minute. Thanks, Alicia. (laughs) What would it look like for restoration to become the heart of our community? For the life and the ethos and the culture of our community to flow from this place and this people, carrying the message of the gospel of Christ, what would it require? How would we do it? How would we become the center of the community? Beyond being a community center, right, that has events and draws people to it, how would we become the center, the heart of the community? Well, it would require movement outward as well as inward, back and forth. Think of the heart within your chest. Doesn't it do that? It sends and it receives. It sends and it receives. We must continue to become a sending church. Where there is a very firm arrow away from this place and away from this community into our influences, area of influences. We must become a more sending church where every single one of us takes up that mantle of responsibility to go into the world with the gospel of Jesus. And we're going to do this, as we've talked about throughout this series, um, with some new initiatives, with some really exciting ideas to express the love of God within our community. But isn't the reality that the church is this not knocking on our door every Sunday morning? Or that the world is not here knocking on our door every Sunday morning? We don't have a crowd of people begging to come in our doors. You're not pushing each other out of seats on Sunday mornings. We're going to get there, by the way. It's okay. Um, no, not the pushing, just the, the, the need for seats. We will bring the gospel of Jesus and God's love to our community. And we're going to do that in some exciting ways, and we've been talking about that. We're going to continue to talk about that. But we also then must prepare our space and our property to receive the community. 
But as Brian already said, our space has some significant limitations. The major one being, in my opinion, that we do not have a lobby. We have a closet um, that kind of functions as a check-in station. Uh, but we don't have a lobby. And so several weeks ago on one of these Sunday mornings, you know, where it was just downpouring, uh, we've had these so often, there was, uh, after the nine o'clock service, after the service, there was a group of people who were gathering in the corner and they were praying uh, together. They're, they're, they began by kind of talking together, but then they, and I was just kind of observing this from a distance and, and uh, I don't n- entirely know who they were, but uh, who, who you were probably, uh, but you were gathering in the corner and, and then you, you kind of circled around one person to begin praying for them. And then nine, and then, what time is it? 1030? 1030 service. 1025. And then 1025 came along. And this room started filling up for the next service. And it got loud and it got noisy in here. And this crowd stopped praying for this person. And they had nowhere to go. They couldn't go to a lobby because we don't have a lobby. They couldn't go outside because it was downpouring outside. They couldn't go downstairs because the building is full of kids. And so they said their farewell. And they left to do what they do. I'm not saying we need a lobby just so that one group of people can continue to pray for others. But it is representative and it is indicative of a problem that we do not have sufficient gathering space to be a community who loves each other. Beyond that, our lobby and uh, beyond a lobby, our children's space is already too crowded. Maybe your kids complain about this on Sunday mornings. Uh, This was a picture taken several weeks ago of one of four classrooms downstairs. Uh, You'll notice that all of the kids, their kids standing against the walls, their kids, that we had to bring in extra tables and extra chairs. This is just a normal Sunday morning of our kids um, gathering downstairs. This is one of four rooms that look about the same during our 1030 service. Now, there are a lot of ways to alleviate space. You know, there are a lot of ways to alleviate space. Uh, children's sanctuary, mainly we could have more services, which we're strategically thinking about um, doing that. But there is no way to increase our lobby space unless, get this, we build a lobby. And so you're probably thinking, that's your grand vision? (laughs) That's the grand vision? That's what we've been waiting for for seven weeks? (laughs) To build a lobby? Thank you. Not just a lobby, an expansion to the sanctuary, an expansion to the kids' classrooms as well. Um, But but no, listen, listen to me. What if we, what if we created a space, a physical space, we set aside a physical space, for a minute, we asked ourselves, what if, what if with this space, we were able to break down the dividing line between restoration and the community? What if our lobby wasn't just a lobby that we use one day a week, but a public community gathering space that was open and available to serve our community seven days a week? What if we created a space that would be a natural draw for our community, a space that naturally received our community every single day of the week? What if our lobby was also a coffee shop? <laughs> Thank you. And, and here's the thing. I don't, I don't mean a church coffee shop because we've all been in church coffee shops, right? They're full of Christian cliches and Christian propaganda all over the place. I don't mean a church coffee shop. I mean an attractive open space that would become a landing spot for intimate conversations between friends and neighbors. The office for those who work from home. The desk for high school students to study for finals. The living room for friends to play board games, right? The scene for soft acoustic folk rock, right? <laughs> the, the, the house, the house of apologetics in a post-Christian world, but a very curious post-Christian world. 
the resting place for tired and weary souls? What if beyond selling coffee and our own roasted blends and cupcakes and swag and brand, we gave our community a place to belong? Think of Central Perk from Friends, right? Think, think of Tom's Diner from Seinfeld. Think of the Max from Saved by the Bell. Right? Preach it, preach it, right? Come on. Like, think of Luke's Diner from Gilmore Girls, right? Like, there we go. I need you guys all to come back to the second service, by the way, okay? <coughs> no, seriously, you need to come back because I love 1030, but they're not going to be nearly as excited as you guys are. No, but here's the thing. These became sacred spaces where people engaged one another on very intimate levels. It's not just a space. It's a sacred space for intimate community to develop. They became contexts that shaped the fabric of their friendships, which in turn shaped the fabric of their lives. And when individuals are changed, households are impacted. When households are changed, communities are impacted. When communities are changed, my friends, we are on the verge of changing the culture in which we live in. And so the goal is ultimately to see our region restored by the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ, right? That is the end goal. For Christ to occupy the heart, not just of individuals, but of our church, but of our whole community. And this is just a tool to help us do it. But if we want to reach people no one is reaching, we have to start doing things no one is doing. And we have to think bigger, and we have to start thinking outside the box a little bit. And no, a church coffee shop is not unique, but a church that is in a community that is for the community, I think that's unique in today's day and age. Creating a space not with Christians in mind, but with the community in mind. This is not a, shop, a coffee shop for Christians. It is a gathering space for our community. It just so happens to be attached to a building that we gather in to worship Jesus. And this building, I hope, becomes a missional outpost that we call Restoration Church. I know there are a million questions that need to be answered. I know that there are going to be a lot of naysayers in the process. But on July 20th, 1969, with 164 days to spare, Neil Armstrong stepped outside the Apollo 11 and on to the moon. Nobody thought it could be done. Nobody believed it would ever happen. And certainly, if we can get a man to the moon and back, then the love of God, which is deeper and wider and greater than the moon and back, catch that? I believe that it can be accomplished. We can change our community. And so let's get creative about how to do it. You're going to hear more about this um, in, in, the, in the coming weeks, uh, in the coming months. Maybe years, yeah. Um, this is a three to five year plan, like I said. Um, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot from a lot of people. And so if you have rich uncles, let me know. If you have a connection with Carson Wentz, you know, let me know. Um, it's going to take an entire body working together to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm excited to do it with you. And I believe in what God is going to accomplish through us. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that has worked within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're accomplishing here.
Thank you for how you have called us, Father, as ambassadors to carry your message of hope and love with us everywhere we go, not just on Sunday mornings, not just when it's convenient, Father, but we might be the people that have the solution to the world's questions and the world's ponderings and the world's struggles. A world that is ridden with guilt, a world that is ridden with shame, a world that knows it's broken, a world that longs for life. And we have the solution in your love and what you've done for us in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. And I just, I pray that we might be people who carry it everywhere that we go. And that we would get creative about receiving those who come to us and we would create context where they naturally want to be here. And within those contexts, maybe they would experience a brand new kind of love that they've always desired. I pray right now that you would begin preparing hearts in our community, that you would open hearts and that you would open minds of our neighbors and of our coworkers and of our family members to receive the gospel or to at least ponder it. And if they recognize their need, Father, may they find a home here. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus, who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Amen.